Welcome to another edition of the Bible in the News. This is John Billington with you this week. As we record the Bible in the News, it is fairly uh, it is a fairly calm night here in Canada, uh, with nothing especially uh, unusual going on. Uh, however, this is not the case in the British Isles. Tonight is Guy Fox Night, or some may know it as Bonfire Night. But it is to the origins of this night and the irony of the groups of Anglicans that are joining with the Roman Catholic Church this past week or so that we will, that we will look into for this week's edition. Tonight, Protestants and Catholics will be celebrating, but for different reasons, as we will see. For most that live in Britain, the origins of the Guy Fawkes Night will be known. However, the night of bonfires, fireworks, and burning of guys is not elsewhere practiced in the world to my knowledge, certainly not here in Canada. But literally, uh, kids make a scarecrow-looking gentleman that is supposed to be Guy Fox. They parade him around and collect money for fireworks, and at night they have the fireworks and a bonfire, and they took, take their scarecrow-looking uh, guy, Guy Fox, and they put him atop of the, on top of the bonfire and they burn him. The origins of this Guy Fawkes night go all the way back to the gunpowder plot of 1605. It's a number of years ago now, but still of interest, we will see. It was a failed Jesuit assassination attempt against King James I of England, the king of the King James Bible that you will know. The plot intended to kill the king and most of his Protestant aristocracy by blowing up the Houses of Parliament during the state opening on the 5th of November 1605. The plot was discovered by Guy Fawkes, the man placed in charge of, the, of executing the plot, and he was discovered red-handed leaving the cellar, uh, cellar of the Houses of Parliament, where he had stashed 30-some, 30 36, as said, barrels of gunpowder uh, in, the, in the cellar that he had uh, planned to ignite. But we're going to go back further than this uh, to, to get an idea of what the lead-up to this was, why, why this was going on. About a hundred years before, approximately, uh, William Tyndale lived. Now, William Tyndale was the man who translated the Bible into English, and this was much to the dismay of the Roman Catholic Church. A Catholic priest actually, uh, apparently, once taunted Tyndale with the statement, We are better to be without God's laws than the Pope's. Tyndale was infuriated by such Roman Catholic heresies, and he replied, I defy the Pope and his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the Scriptures than you. Well, true to his word, Tyndale translated the Bible into English, and thus enlightened the common man. The effect of this was enormous. People could now read the scriptures for themselves, and they identified the Roman Catholic system with the harlot system of Revelation, and the man of sin of Second Thessalonians with the Pope. Tyndale was arrested and imprisoned in this castle of Vilvorden for over 500 days. He was tried for heresy and treason, and was convicted. Tyndale was then strangled and burnt at the stake in the prison yard, October 6, 1536. And his last words were a prayer. Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Well, he had translated the Bible into English, and that was sure to start a series of events 
that take us down to really to our day. It started the Reformation, and from there people came out of the church, and so the story goes. And England itself separated from the Roman Catholic Church. The Catholic Church was, of course, none too happy about this position in England. And in keeping, with the, sto in the, keeping the story short, we come down to 1605. Although it must be said between uh, William Tyndale and Guy Fawkes, we have, a we have the birth of the Jesuits. When Guy Fawkes, uh, Guy Fawkes was one of 13 who conspired to blow up the Parliament, with the reason behind this being to throw the whole country into turmoil, out of which they hoped to raise a new monarch who was sympathetic to their cause and return England to its Catholic past. While Guy Fawkes did not succeed in blowing up James I and turning the British Isles to Catholicism, in fact, a poem was written that was recited nationwide for hundreds of years and it gave the real feelings of the nation. The first verse reads uh, as such, Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Well, that part of the poem is still around today. But with a little more searching, you can come up with the uh, more complete version. Although there are, it seems to be, different versions of the version, but still you will get a enlarged version that... Um, is a little more uh, gets a little more intense as we go, but I'm going to read it just so that we can get the feeling in the country of that time. And and this wasn't just a few zealots zealots that felt this way. This really was the feeling in the nation. So we started off with remember, remember the fifth of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fox and his companions did the scheme contrive to blow the king and parliament all up alive. Three score barrels laid below to prove old England's overthrow, but by God's providence him they catch with a dark lantern lighting a match, a stick and a stake for King James's sake. If you won't give me one, I'll take two, the better for me and the worse for you. A rope, a rope to hang the Pope, a pennyworth of cheese to choke him, a pint of beer to wash it down, and a jolly good fire to burn him. Holla boys, holla boys, make the bells ring. Holla boys, holla boys, God save the king. Hip hip hooray. Now, as I mentioned, it's a little, uh, it's a little more um, extreme in its language than the first verse. But I think it gives us the idea or the feeling behind, um, well, it gives us the feeling of the nation, what was going on in the nation at that time. Now, as I mentioned, King James I was the king behind the King James Version. And if you open up the, uh, your, your Bible and, and to, that, to the first page, you'll, you'll see a, a preface to, um, to James from his translators. It's, it's really it's a, it's a preface. It's a letter at the, beginning of, at the beginning of the King James Version. It begins as follows. To the Most High and Mighty Prince James, by the grace of God, King of Britain, France, and Ireland, defender of the faith. And that's what he was. He was defender of the faith. The faith that they had come to from leaving Rome, it was, it was the Protestant faith. If you continue down to the second paragraph, we, won't, we don't have time to read it all here, we don't want to keep you for an hour, but if you go down into the second paragraph, um, we'll pick it up. They've been talking about uh, James's uh, loyal and religious subjects and their contentment. And we pick it up there and it continues as follows. And their contentment doth not diminish or decay, but every day increaseth, and taketh strength, 
when they observe that zeal of your majesty toward the house of God doth not slack or go backward, but is more and more kindled, manifesting itself abroad in the farthest parts, sorry, parts of Christendom, by writing in defense of the truth, which has given such a blow to that man of sin as will not be healed. And so it continues later, and uh, he actually, they talk about uh, popish persons, which, uh, which I enjoy. The man of sin did take a blow, and England was not restored back to their Catholic roots, as they say at that point. However, the funny thing is, today, we see, under the spirit of ecumenism, strong at work, we see Anglicans heading back to Rome. And just recently, it was just in the last week or so, uh, in defense of the Pope's decision to allow Anglicans to join with the Church. Anglicans are the Church of England, uh, and they have another fancy name over here in the United or in the United States, Episcopal or something or other. But um, we've got uh, they're known as Anglicans, I believe, here in Canada, but in in England, it's the Church of England. But in defense of the Pope's decision to allow Anglicans to join with the Church. Cardinal Murphy O'Connor said that the Pope's intention was not to poach Anglicans. It was not his not intention to poach Anglicans. He said, if these priests and lay people really want to become Catholics, then let's have them. Particularly if they've got a lot of lay people with them. Something like this is obviously going to be easier than receiving them one by one. He also continued by saying, after more than 40 years of official Anglican-Catholic dialogue, he said, some of the classic disputes at the root of our painful divisions have today been basically, basically resolved through a new consensus of fundamental doctrine. Or we can look at it through the words of the globalist website who looks at the situation in these business terms. It was a very interesting article and it starts off this way. How humiliating. The nation that bred Margaret Thatcher and that has re reveled in the personal financial gains of bringing the dynamic art of the hostile takeover to the corporate world over the past 30 years, is meeting its match. It now finds its own nearly 500-year-old national religion under assault from the biggest multinational corporation of all, the Roman Catholic Church. Later on in the article, it continues, The Vatican's policymakers, shrewd religious business analysts, for, the most, uh, for most of the past two millennia, recognize the Church of England is in Chapter 11 and won't be coming out of it in any recognizable form. It's almost as bad as if Pepsi finally admitted defeat and accepted being swallowed up by Coke. They just, it, it, the article dealt with it on a very uh, sort of a business terminology level, but that is, truly, that is what it is. This truly is, then, a victory for Rome, and one that is being won without gunpowder. The reason behind the slide toward Rome, and to the Dark Ages, can only be attributed to one thing, the lack of Bible reading. When the Bible was translated into English, we talked about Tyndale. When the Bible was translated into English, people could read it for themselves. And the response was that they threw off the chains of Rome. They could see for themselves. What we are seeing today is a reversal of that. So, what brought us out of the Dark Ages was the reading of the Scriptures. Well, if we stop reading the Scriptures, what are the result? What is the result? 
It must be said, however, when we open our Bibles, that is exactly what we would expect to see. Turn to Revelation chapter 17, and we find the picture of a system described as a whore that sits on many waters. In Scripture, the virgin is a picture of Christ's bride, his true ecclesia. We see this in 2 Thessalonians 11 and 2. Well, here in Revelation 17, this woman is described as a whore. She is a spiritual whore who has drunken with the blood of the saints, and with, who is drunken with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And she sits on many waters, which verse 15 tells us are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And she is in, so she is in control of the masses. Verse 18 says, The woman which thou sawest is that great city, which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Well, the Roman Catholic system has put on a humanitarian face and is growing. But the Church of England is the one that right now is feeling the pinch. In the name of ecumen all in the name of ecumenism, but it's the kind of ecumenism that goes as long as you're under the Pope. What we are seeing today is only the thin edge of the wedge. The thin edge of the wedge, if that's how you say it. The thin edge of the wedge. But the warning is, in Revelation, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues. Apparently in England today, many are actually moving to Halloween, and less are roasting Guy Fawkes on bonfires. And in the Church of England, it seems that they have forgotten gunpowder, treason, and plot. This may be the case, but as God is concerned after the, after the warning to come out of her, my people, he continues, For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. We'll leave you there for this week's Bible in the News, but it is an interesting thing to continue to watch and to see the shaping of the nations as we come to the final battle of Armageddon. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>